Good morning. It's good to have everybody with us today. I know that we do have some guests in the room, so if you are here with us for the very first time, thanks so much for being here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. You know, if you are new with us, either whether it's here or online, you know, coming to a, a new church, you're not really sure what to expect, and hopefully um, that video that we just showed gives a little bit of an insight into who we are. Um, and, and so if you are a guest with us and you have questions about the church, we would love to answer those um, for you so you can grab one of us after the service, either me or, or Wayne that was up here earlier, um, or Cody, our worship leader. We would love to just connect with you and answer any questions that you have about the church because we're excited that you're here today. I, I want to share for just a, a couple of minutes, and, and then we've got some special guests who are with us, but I find the story of Jonah fascinating, and maybe not because of why you might expect. Because it has nothing to do with the big fish. But that's where we get stuck when we talk about the story of Jonah. We ask the question, did Jonah really survive in the belly of a big fish or a whale? And oftentimes that's an issue too. Was it a big fish or was it a whale? And so we, we ask, like, did Jonah actually survive in the belly of a whale for three days? Or if he did, how did he do that? And when that's what gets the focus, we miss the point of Jonah's story. Jonah chapter 1, we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and the Lord said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and declare that in 40 days I'm going to destroy your city. Now you've got to understand, at that point, Nineveh was an exceedingly, the Bible describes it, exceedingly wicked city, known for all of these atrocities that they had been performing against all these people. I mean, they were horrible people, and at the time, the sworn enemy of the people of God, the people of Israel. And so when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go and tell the people of Nineveh that I'm going to destroy their city, you would think you'd be really excited about going. You would have thought for a prophet, this was the greatest assignment ever given. But Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. We find out that he got on a boat headed to the city of Tarshish, which was literally in the opposite direction. He was trying to get as far away from where God told him to go as he possibly could. While he was on the sea, a storm came up. And the storm was so significant that the sailors on the boat determined that the only reason that they were in this storm and the storm was so bad is because somebody had done something to anger their God, and that God is the reason that they were in this storm. And so the, the sailors cast lots. It's kind of like drawing straws. And the straw came up to Jonah. They realized it was his fault. And so they got Jonah and were like, hey, who are you and what did you do? And so Jonah explained who he was, that he was a prophet of the Lord, and he explained what he did, and he was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he got on this boat headed the opposite direction. And so with, after some, a little bit of deliberation, the soldiers threw Jonah overboard. That's where the big fish comes in, swallowed by the big fish. And then eventually, after three days, the big fish spits him up onto the shore. And so Jonah reluctantly then went to the city of Nineveh. The, Jonah's story in the Bible, it says that the city of Nineveh was exceedingly great. It took a three days journey to get across the city. And what we find is on the first day, Jonah said, in 40 days, God is going to destroy your city. So I want you to understand how I picture this story in my mind. The city of Nineveh is a three days journey to get all the way across. On the first day, when Jonah walked up to the city and he saw the, the sign on the side of the road that said, Welcome to Nineveh, he got out his phone and took a little selfie that said, God, just so you know, I'm here. Here's the picture and the proof to show that. And then he whispered, 
in 40 days, God's going to destroy your city. Because he was hoping that nobody would hear. But somebody did. And somebody took his word seriously. And that person began to tell other people. And eventually, the news got all the way to the king of Nineveh. And the king said, listen, we've got to repent of our sins. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They began to mourn, hoping that God would change his mind. And God did. And he chose at that time not to destroy the city of Nineveh. As the story continues, then we find Jonah, who is now outside of the town, pouting. He said, God, it's better for me to die than live. Why don't you just take my life? And God shows up to Jonah again and says, what are you doing out here? And Jonah said, well, this is the reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because I knew who you were. I knew you were a a gracious God who was patient and slow to anger and abounding in love. And I knew if the people heard what I said, heard what you were going to do, then they might repent of their sins, and then you would change your mind. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why I feel like at this moment it's better for me to die than it is to live. And God said to Jonah in the end of the book, Jonah Am I not supposed to care about the 120,000 people that live in that city that don't know their right hand from their left? And that's the point of the book. That God didn't care just about Jonah or just about the people of Israel, but God cared about all people. And if God cares about all people, shouldn't his people care about all people too? I think the story of Jonah is so profoundly convicting for us today who live in a world where we constantly hear the message, you got to worry about yourself first, your people first. It's about what happens here first. It doesn't matter what happens there when God, I believe, is saying to us, his people, yes, I care about you, but I also care about them too. Because we are God's people. We are supposed to care for all people too. And in fact, those of us who are followers of Christ have been called to be a part of the work that God is doing in the lives of people, not just here, but around the world. Jesus told his disciples in the Great Commission, go into the world and make disciples. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And certainly as we think about our own involvement in the work that God is doing in the lives of people on planet Earth, yes, our primary focus is going to be on those people who are closest to us. But yet at the same time, we can't forget the fact that God doesn't just care about us or our neighbors or the people that live across the street from us or the people that we work with, but God cares about all people. And we have the opportunity to be involved in the work that God is doing, not just here, but ultimately around the world. And so this morning we have some special guests who are with us today. I know we have so many new folks that have been with us in less than a year now. Um, And so you guys may not know this, but our church supports uh, projects in Panama and Nepal through a ministry called MANA Worldwide. And in our church, we have some missionaries who are a part of MANA Worldwide, Craig and Jennifer Alsup. And so I'm going to have them come up, and they're going to share a little bit of their ministry and their story with us today. So you guys welcome uh, Craig and Jennifer to the stage.
So, Craig, as we get started, I, I want you to t- talk about this, because I think that there are a number of words, like, in church that we use a lot, that if we were asked to define them, I don't know that we'd be able to get the definition. So you guys are missionaries, but what does that mean? What is a missionary? Yeah, so loaded question. A missionary is anybody who follows God's plan for their lives, who goes out to reach people with the good news of Jesus. And so anybody who goes to the people around them, but also, as Pastor Bill said, we're called to go to those here, there, and literally everywhere all around the world. And so a missionary can look like a lot of different things. Uh, We personally know missionaries uh, who uh, serve in their communities. We personally know missionaries who are in Western Europe. We know missionaries in Africa that are, you know, preaching in mud huts. Uh, We know missionaries uh, throughout Asia who are serving in orphanages and schools and all types of different things. But really the idea is that we are meant to be on mission to reach people with this good news. And however God calls us and specifically gifts us to do that, that's our mission call. That's, a, that's for us. Yeah. So you guys are missionaries with MANA Worldwide. And so you might um, maybe share a little bit about the ministry of MANA, what MANA does um, itself as an organization, and then what your guys' role is um, with MANA as well. Yeah, so we are assistant directors for Asia with MANA. Uh, MANA Worldwide has been going since 2001. It was founded by a missionary church planter um, in the Philippines. But basically with this idea that when and if we reach people at their most desperate physical need, we also get the opportunity to reach them at their most desperate need, which is their spiritual need. And so we work now in 50 countries, about 225 or 35 different ongoing projects. Uh, We partner with missionaries and pastors who are there long-term, full-time, on the field, uh, serving in these communities. And we we say, how do we partner with you to reach your community with the gospel, to reach people where they're at, and to love on people? And so sometimes that looks like planting churches. Uh, We've helped to plant over 100 churches in the last 20 years. Um, orphanages, schools, medical clinics, digging water wells, really everything in between. But with this idea that we can't just go in and serve people physically, that's good work, but that's not God's work. But if we go in and we meet people where they're at physically, and then we share with them Christ, and we continue the relationship, and we continue to serve them and show them Jesus, And God's going to do a work in their lives. And so that's what we do with MANA. Um, As assistant directors for Asia, uh, the table is is our home, our home church. Uh, But we travel all over the United States. We speak in churches about 40 weekends a year. Uh, And we get to travel all over and challenge people to be involved in the mission of Christ to reach everybody everywhere. We get to, as assistant directors for Asia, then take these churches uh, like the table that partner with us in Panama and Nepal. We get to take people from these churches, and we get to introduce them. We get to take them over and introduce them to the kid that's there because they gave, to the family that came to Christ because they thought it was important enough to give financially, to pray, and to go. Um, And, man, there's nothing better than that. Yeah, one of the things that... 
I think was a reason that we started to partner with Man a couple years ago was their philosophy of ministry. We felt like it really fit who we are and what we try to do here. So, you know, what Mana does is oftentimes it's meeting the physical needs of people in order to build a bridge to be able to share the good news about Jesus and then their lives are changed for eternity. Um, you know, really similar to the way that we try to impact our community here by meeting physical needs with no strings attached. And then, you know, maybe that would open a door for, um, for us to share the gospel with people as well. So, okay. I don't, Jennifer, you might want to start in this, because this is really what I wanted you guys to share. How did you get involved? How did you become missionaries? Because I know it wasn't like, you know, your, it wasn't necessarily the plan from the very beginning. I mean, Craig had a normal job, did normal things, and then one day he comes home and says, I don't know, what? Like, how did that? Yeah, so I, I can't have that much time. So... Um, yeah, it was never in our plan at all. Um, Craig and I were working regular jobs. We had a, you know, the American dream planned out, two kids, you know, nice house, dog, you know, the whole, the whole thing, and God called us out of it. But um, when Craig and I first got married, we are from Mississippi originally. Um, we had never really traveled anywhere or done anything. We both grew up in really small Southern Baptist churches, so we had never met a missionary. Uh, we didn't really know what missions was, didn't have a good picture of it. Um, certainly one had never come to our church to, to talk to us. And so when Craig and I got married, we decided that we were going to take a trip around the world, um, which seems completely crazy, and our parents thought so too, um, and everybody we knew. But we saved and worked for two years, um, sold everything we had, our house, our cars, everything, quit our um, jobs, and went and traveled the world for 16 months. And we went to 76 countries on si uh, six continents and had the time of our lives. And I would love to tell you that it was all about Jesus. Um, and it wasn't not, but it wasn't for. Um, and so, but what we learned along the way is God opened our eyes to people and places. And Craig and I had the incredible opportunity of staying in people's homes in a lot of places. And so we met people and really formed relationship with them. Um, and then whenever we came home, Craig actually got into school to do his doctorate degree in Springfield, Missouri. And so we moved up there, and we thought that it was all about school. And, but we were looking for a church. We ended up at a church that um, was not a Southern Baptist church. Um, it was a BBFI church, and they supported missionaries. The pastor was actually a long-term missionary, had grown up as a missionary on the field in the Philippines, um, had become a missionary family, him, or missionary himself. His family had... had um, had served there for 20 some odd years and he constantly had missionaries coming in the church supported I think it was 135 missionaries at the time and so we were hearing their stories constantly and they did a big missions conference once a year and then every quarter they would have two or three missionaries come in and so they would share their heart and they would show videos and every time these videos would show on the screen um, it would have pictures of these people from around the world and Every single time it would break my heart and I would just cry and I thought those are people that we know like we don't actually know those people but we know we know them you know we've been to their places we've we've been to where they live and and we've talked to people that look like them and speak like them and you know like we we know their circumstance and we love people like that and so God just used that trip and those relationships that we formed to grow in us a heart um, for doing missions. And so we, we had a connection in Nepal. Um, we tried to hike to Mount Everest Base Camp. 
you can shake your heads. I know that's crazy, but we were young and dumb and didn't know any better. And so um, we thought that we would hike to Mount Everest Base Camp. We failed miserably. Um, we were not prepared for the high altitude. We thought we're in the best shape of our lives. We can definitely do this, but, but we couldn't. And so um, we had already booked our flights out of the um, country uh, for like a month later because we planned all this time to hike. And so we had extra time. We ended up volunteering in an orphanage and we fell in love with some kids there and it just connected our heart to missions. And so whenever God started working on our hearts at this church and, and cultivating a desire and a love for missions, it was to Asia, it was, it was to Nepal, it was to where the place was where we had these kids at. And so over a series of events, um, we began to serve there and then um, God called us, called us to Manna. Do you wanna add anything to that? I'm yeah, sure so I, uh, I think the biggest thing is as, as we felt more connected to Nepal and more connected with missions and with Asia, we began to financially give and we thought that's all it would ever be. Like we thought, okay, get a better job, make more money, give more, great, check the box. Um, and then God showed us otherwise and showed us that we should do this full time and that we should not only give financially ourselves, but that we should challenge others to do the same. And we should challenge others to get on mission, to go on mission, to move to the other side of the planet if that's what God caused you to do, but to do something. And that as Christians, we're all called to do something. And so uh, when we uh, finally said yes in the end of 2015, uh, sold everything again and uh, started traveling this time with two kids in tow. And uh, here we are. And so, I mean, part of with being a missionary, what that means is you don't have a steady paycheck, right? Like normal folks would, but you guys, you have to go out and raise money to be able to do what you do. And so I think from, I mean, certainly from my perspective, I think a lot of our perspectives are like, man, like that's a huge commitment sacrifice and things like that. So talk about the heart behind what you do. Like, why is it that you have taken these steps that us regular folks would be like, man, that seems really crazy to me. And you've stepped out to do what you're doing. Like, why do you do it? Yeah, I kind of laugh when he said we don't get a regular paycheck. No, like we don't have one employer out there somewhere uh, like most people do, but um, sort of we got a pretty good boss. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so he provides exceedingly abundantly. Um, but uh, why we do what we do is because it's, it's the greatest representation of what we're meant to do as Christians. That when God calls us, uh, to, to follow him. When Jesus said, follow me, the greatest representation of what we're meant to do as followers of Jesus is to go and share the good news, to go and tell people and, and to glorify God and to praise God in that way. And so um, when you ask why, it's because they matter. It's because the people around the world, man, when we look into their eyes, they're, they're not just some people, they're our people. You know what I mean? They're, they're not just some people. Like, they're God's people. And we just get the opportunity to be the mouthpiece. And we just get the opportunity to go and serve and love people. They matter, and, and, and God, ultimately, God matters. Um, and our following Him is just an outpouring of His faithfulness and His goodness in our lives. And so it's our response to that. Yeah, it's really good. So I mentioned before that we, as a church, we support projects in Panama and Nepal. 
So just give us a quick update on, maybe for a lot of people even introduce the specifics of the projects, but then like, how are things going in light of all of the COVID things? And because it's not just something that affects us, but like it's obviously affecting other countries and all of that too, so. Okay. <laughs> you talk first, then I'll talk. So, um, yeah, so the table uh, supports a project in Panama and one in Nepal. Um, the project in Panama is a girls' home. Um, uh, Pastor Rafi has taken in some, some girls and has them in his home. Um, he and his wife are serving them, and they are, um, most of them, I think, are in Bible school at this point now. So um, they're doing a great work there. They serve in their community. Um, they're teaching uh Bible lessons in the church, and, and um, I mean, we were there leading worship and, and doing great things there, and so um, the table is a part of that, almost fully supporting that project, actually. Um, and then there's a, there's a project called Basapati in Nepal. Um, I love this story because the very first time we spoke at the table, we asked you guys to raise money for the project in Basapati, and when Craig and I did our survey trip with Mana. Um, in October of 2015, they took us to Nepal. We actually went to Mongolia and we went to Nepal and we saw what they were already doing there. And we served in, uh, it, it was like a little tin hut, kind of rounded over. Probably five of us would have fit in it comfortably. But they were serving, I think it was 18 to 25 kids at the time, uh, feeding them and helping them with homework in this little hut. It was in the middle of a field. And when we came home with Manna, uh, the missionary reached out to us and said, we have so many kids that want to come to the nutrition center or need to come to the nutrition center that we want to reach, but we can't fit them in this hut. There's, there's no way. And, I, and we knew that because we had stood in that hut with 25 kids and there was no room at all <laughs> for anyone else. Um, but Craig spoke at the table. You guys raised enough money that they were able to rent a house next door. Um, it has two levels. So they use the bottom level for discipleship training and a nutrition center. And then, then upstairs they do some other um, work in the community, use that for a community room. But um, they went from serving 25 kids to serving 85 kids. Um, and that's all because of you guys, every bit of the money for that, um, for them to be able to rent that house and take in the extra kids and have the extra meals and hire the extra people to be able to, manage that many kids, it, it all came, it all came from you. Um, so, so that's very exciting, but that, um, project is still going on. That shifted a little bit, um, during COVID. We obviously weren't able to have that many kids come to the project. So what happened is, uh, we were still buying the food, but the missionaries, the people who were serving there were able to go out to the homes of those children. And so what we thought was going to be a, a bad thing actually turned out to be quite a good thing in that we were all of a sudden able to meet the parents as well. Because a lot of times the parents will, they'll just send the kids, you know. And we hope that our message to the kids gets through to the parents. But a lot of times we don't have a lot of influence with the parents. But COVID kind of switched that a little bit and that gave the opportunity for the missionaries to go out to the homes of these people and get in the homes and then even before COVID, if you did get an opportunity to meet a parent, it was usually the mom um, because the husband or, or the father was off working to be able to, to help the family survive. But with COVID and, and the quarantine, the dads were at home as well. And so a lot of our missionaries were able to get into the homes, form a relationship with both parents so that as things begin to open up, 
we have, you know, a, a better influence and, and better relationship with parents there. Yeah, that's great. So, Craig, I mean, you, you were just telling me even before the service this morning about just the level of funding that we've had as a church and what we've been able to do and then, like, the potential for other opportunities for us to be a part of as well. So, just share a little bit of that. Yeah, so because the table has has really stepped up and stepped in and has been giving so incredibly over the past uh, several years, uh, Panama is fully funded, that project. Those girls there are uh, just doing incredibly well, fully funded, and, and, and doing awesome. Um, and by Sapati, again, that's a project that we're able to fully fund really through the table and, and, and to make a difference in the lives of those 80-something-plus kids plus all of their families and community. Um, every year they host this big Christmas gathering uh, there where the kids put on a play to share Christ to their community. And it's like 80 kids, a play, and hundreds of people from the community that these kids go out and invite. Like they go be missionaries in their community. And so that's really cool. But uh, what we've seen also is that as the table has been able to give more and more financially, as you guys have given and, and gotten to be a part of that, then we've seen Panama fully funded. We've seen Bicepati now fully funded. But then we had a couple other underfunded projects in Nepal. One's a nutrition center project that is now doing an incredible work in, in their community. Uh, it's a church that reaches a lot of refugees. Uh, they help to feed those families and help those families as re- most of them religious refugees from Pakistan that have come to faith there and then have come to Nepal fleeing persecution, um, threats of death and things like that. Uh, and so you guys are a part of that actually already. Um, and then beyond that, they've been able to reach a Hindu orphanage down the street. Um, and I got a message a couple weeks ago from our leadership there, um, and he said that the orphanage owner is starting to ask questions. Like, she's starting to get interested in Christ, and about half the kids in the orphanage have now come to faith. So it's been absolutely incredible. And then the next project is there's an orphanage there in Kathmandu that serves about 20, 25 kids. And so you guys are actually going to be able to fully fund Panama, buy Sapati, the Kathmandu Orphanage, and complete the funding for the project that's reaching out to the Hindu village um, or the Hindu orphanage. And then we have one project in northern India um, in uh, well, I probably shouldn't say the exact place, but in northern India where a bunch of girls have been taken in off the street um, that have been taken out of trafficking-type situations, and they needed additional funding. And so the table is going to be able to help, Lord willing, with what the, the average has been uh, that you guys have given, is going to be able to actually help to fully fund that project And then we've got some exciting stuff. I mean, obviously, there's opportunity everywhere. But as giving increases here, what what our heart is, what we want to do is say, how can we help more people and how can we serve more people? Because that's what the table's about. And uh, so we've got some potential in Nepal right now for church planting to build some churches. Uh, We've also got some uh, potential partnerships in the works to help to take pastors in from villages. These guys that have uh, come to faith in Jesus and then said, yes, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll share this good news. But they really don't have training. And they really don't have resources. But they're preaching and teaching in their villages. They're going and being missionaries. 
And we want to take them in and begin to take them in and start to train them and then specifically send them out to these villages with unreached people, with people who are in desperate need of the gospel and who have absolutely nobody telling them yet. We want to reach them. Mm. Okay, so we've got just a couple of minutes left. Jennifer, maybe you could speak to this. Like with so many needs here, and I know this is like frequently asked questions, why should we be involved in foreign missions, right? Like this is the question. But like there are so many needs here, why should we be concerned about what's happening there? So I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a here or there thing. Um, I think that God calls each of us to a different place. Um, there are certainly needs here in our community. Um, there's people here that have never heard a very clear representation of the gospel in a way that it connects to them. And those people are just as valuable and mean just as much to God as anybody on the other side of the world. Um, I think that for us, it was Asia and Nepal because that's where God connected our hearts. Um, and so for us, that's why we serve there. But for every person, it's going to be different. It's going to be a connection that you've had or something that God lays on your heart. And so I actually think the table put something out not long ago. Craig and I weren't here, but we saw on social media about, you know, pray over a particular place. You know, think about if there's a country God might call you to or a people group within the United States that God might call you to and then commit to praying over that for a month or three months and look into, do these people have the gospel? What does it look like there? Um, what would living there look like? What would missions look like there? And really pray over that and think over that and research that and just see, is God calling me to do something there? Or is God calling me to do something here? And does that mean I should give more? Or does that mean I should pray more? Or does that mean I should go um, and serve them and see what it means? But I think it, I don't think it's here or there. I, th I think it's everywhere. I think that's why it specifically says, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and to the ends of the earth. Um, it's just wherever God equips you and, and calls your heart. Yeah. So, okay. So I know I see this on social media a lot, Craig, when you post stuff. You kind of give three messages to people. Like, here's what you do. You pray, you give, and you go. The going part has been real hard over the last year and continues to be, but maybe that opens up at some point. And you, I know you'll let us know as soon as like trips can happen and all of those kinds of things. Jennifer, you just talked about the praying part, which is something that we should be doing all the time. So let's talk a little bit about the giving part. Um, and I want you to talk about this for, for just a second, but I will say this. So just so that everyone understands like kind of how, how we do things. So we take a portion of our general fund budget and give to support MANA. So we support those projects from what is just given on a regular basis. But yet at the same time, we want to invite you to, uh, over and above what you would normally give as a part of your regular giving, uh, to be a part of giving directly to um, the projects. And so uh, when you give on our website, there is a, on the giving page, there's like a, a drop down um, you can put in your amount and there's some different funds. And so like it first populates a general fund and sometimes we have some different drop downs in there. And so one of the drop downs is manna. And so you can give, um, you know, however you give, like if it's a couple of times a month or monthly or, or whatever it is, like you could also give um, to our manna fund, which we kind of collect. And I'm not even exactly sure how often we send it out, if we do it monthly or quarterly or, or whatever it is. And so we send that to manna to fund the project. So that's how that works. So, Craig, just in terms of like, um, and I know it's, it's generalized because different places cost different things, right? But like, 
just give people an idea how much does it cost like to feed a, a child in Nepal or um, something like that? Because I know you guys use that kind of as a statistic, like to give people an idea of, of maybe how much they're giving to. Yeah. I think on average across the world uh, in our projects, it's about $28 a month feeds a child. Um, now, Asia is a little bit cheaper, actually. Um, but uh, suffice to say, you know, $20 a month goes an incredibly long way in Nepal or in India or in Panama. And so y- you can literally, dollar for dollar, go, okay, I'm feeding a child for a month on about $20, um, which is mind-boggling to us in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, a whole lot um, or, or very little goes an absolutely long way. Um, and I'll say, like, we, we always did, like, the obedience thing. Like, we always, like, gave to our church, and that was, like, out of obedience, and that was out of our love for God and for what he was doing in our lives. But nothing began to shift and shape our perspective on the world and our perspective on God more than when we personally began to give financially to specific people and like specific projects and specific things where we could say, these are our people. Um, Nothing changes your heart around giving uh, more than that. Nothing changes your ability to give more, uh, more than giving a little. And uh, and so, you know, if I could could say anything, it would be to challenge uh, everybody in this room to say, how can I be a part? Um, Not $500 a month for some of us, but maybe for some of us. But how can I be a part in a way that says, I am willing to share of what I have, to sacrifice what I have, not an equal gift for each person, but an equal sacrifice. And so if we begin to look at it that way, and just like the widow's might, if we begin to look at it that way and begin to give of ourselves and our finances, then God will do incredible things in and through you. Um, You'll get to be a part of it. You get to see it. And that's the best thing. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap us up really quick. When you give your $30 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, here's the great thing about it. That goes to serve the people that it's meant to. Craig and Jennifer, they raise their own support. And as a church, we support them um, specifically for their cost of living and things like that. And so they have other individuals and churches that do the same thing. So when you give your $30 or $50 or whatever it is, they're not taking a cut of that. Like all of that is going to serve the needs of people in Nepal or Panama or wherever um, those funds need to to go. Um, So that's really a cool thing. So I'm going to let these guys go. In the lobby, you have a um, little sign over there. You've got some cards that I would encourage you guys to grab on your way out, something to just remind you of um, like the importance of being a part of what God is doing around the world. So they've got little cards with their picture, you know, put it on your refrigerator, that kind of thing. Um, and consider what God would have to do through you if it's a monthly gift or a one-time gift or, or whatever it is to support those projects. Um, we would greatly appreciate it because like we've said several times this morning, God has called us not to just reach people here, but to be a part of what he's doing in reaching people around the world as well. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thanks for, God, your heart to reach all people. The only reason that we are here today is because you loved all people, not just your people, not just 
Jewish people, not just the children of Abraham, but all people. And now, God, you have called us as your children to be a part of your work and ministry here, certainly, but also around the world. And Father, thanks for Craig and Jennifer and others like them who are giving their lives to tell others about what you're doing around the world. And God, thanks for the opportunity that you've given to us to be a part of it as well. And so, Father, I pray that you would move us um, to do what it is that you would desire us to do. Open our eyes to the needs of people all around us and how we can be a part of pointing others back to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.